Last September 2013, we rejoiced in God's Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day. About 9,500 brethren and guests attended the feast in 48 different feast sites in 32 different countries around the world. And now God has given us the Spring Festival, and we're anticipating that, the Days of Unleavened Bread and the New Testament Passover. That will be April 15th through April 21st, 2014. And all baptized members will be keeping the New Testament Passover on the night of April 13th, that Sunday night, just 11 weeks from tomorrow night. In preparation for the Passover, we examine ourselves and we take stock of our spiritual condition. We also consider the degree of dedication and commitment that we have internalized as part of our character. And we also meditate on the supreme sacrifice of Christ. We think about His sacrifice, being on the cross, and having the the spear jammed in His side and the blood coming out of His side. We think about the scourgings that He took and taking the flesh off His face and off His body for our healing, for as by our stripes we were healed. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, we realize that shed blood redeemed us from death. God paid for our sins through the sacrifice of His Son. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, starting with verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. There is cause and effect. You cannot out-guess God. There is penalty. There, is, there are consequences. As Dr. Douglas Winnale was bringing out in his sermon recently on the battle for the mind. Or do you not know, verse 19, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, as it should read, which you have from God, and you are not your own. You belong to someone else. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So God has bought and paid for you. We are His bond servants, but we are in training as kings and priests and judges for tomorrow's world. We sang that one song, God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. We look forward to the time when the blind will see and the deaf hear and the dumb talk and the lame leap like the heart. So we look forward to those days. But God is training us as kings and priests and servants for that upcoming time. And He's called us to be faithful and loyal servants and children of God. We are bought with a price. The title of the sermon today is Faithful and Loyal Servants. Are you a faithful and loyal servant? He's called us to the most awesome and spectacular future so far beyond our imagination. And to begin that calling, God calls us to repentance and baptism after we accept the sacrifice of Christ and after we acknowledge our sins and repent of those sins and are determined to change our whole lives. We're baptized, immersed into water, which symbolizes 
the death of the old man and coming up out of the water to walk in newness of life. From that point on, we are to remain faithful and loyal. But we counted the cost before we were baptized. You're all familiar with that, but let's turn to it. Uh, Luke, the 14th chapter. Luke 14, as we consider the dedication and commitment that we have as faithful and loyal servants. Luke, the 14th chapter, verse 26, begins the counting of the cost, as we call it, when we counsel people for baptism. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, or as it should read, love less by comparison, his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. There are three cannots in this counting the cost section of Luke 14. He says uh, later on here, you must count the cost, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then verse 33, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So we counted the cost before we were baptized. We dedicated our lives, realizing that we belong to God the Father. He's begotten us by His Spirit. We are bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. He owns us. But what happens, as we just read here, that Jesus was saying in another section in uh, the parallel account, that you must love Christ more than you love father, mother, sister, brother, your children, your parents, and your own life also. And it's been sad the past few years to see that some who allegedly made that commitment have not kept that commitment. They have followed a husband or a wife or son or daughter or father or mother away from the truth of God. They love their family more than they loved Christ, love their family more than they love the truth of God. So it's a very serious consideration when we anticipate the Passover, we anticipate our commitments, and to realize just how loyal am I, just how faithful am I, how committed am I. Dr. Meredith wrote an article, and I'm going to read kind of a lengthy excerpt from it, on how loyal are you. This is from the January-February 1999 Living Church News. Dr. Meredith writes, One of the most vital characteristics of a true Christian is loyalty. Even in the secular realm, loyalty is a highly valued trait of character, yet one that is often abused. How loyal are you to God, to your husband or wife, to your nation, to your employer or boss? Obviously, God tells us that if there is a direct conflict, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that's Acts 5, verse 29. He continues, As we learn to practice the trait of loyalty toward our nation, our boss, our spouse, the human leader of God's church, whom we have seen by the fruits that God is using, we will be letting God build within us an absolutely vital character trait that will serve us for all eternity, where God does not want any potential Satans to sneak into his kingdom. Through our practice of loyalty now, we will be demonstrating to God that we can be counted on to stand with God for all time, 
even when the whispering and the accusations of Satan become intense. One more paragraph. By showing God in his life that we are loyal, even in the midst of political intrigues and plotting, we will be demonstrating to him that we really do have a genuine awe and godly fear of our Creator, and that we will trust Him to correctly lead His church and His kingdom now and forever. End of quote. A few weeks ago, we briefly discussed ten characteristics of a Philadelphian. And at the subhead in the New King James Version, it says, the faithful church. And we've encouraged you, and we can see that Many of us have proven and tested that we are faithful, that we are loyal. And as a part of the Philadelphian church, we want to be that faithful church. One of the characteristics I gave, characteristic number seven, was that Philadelphian Christians persevere. They do not give up. They run the race with patience, with endurance. So God has called us to be the faithful Christians He's called us to be the loyal Christians. And we must fulfill that mission that Christ has given us. We must remain loyal to Him and to His way of life. Let's look at a couple examples of disloyal servants of God. Who do you think of in the Bible as being disloyal? Of course, perhaps the first one that comes to mind would be Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Christ. No, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And he must have felt what it was horribly like to be betrayed by Judas, one of the twelve apostles whom he had anointed or had appointed. Let's turn to Matthew, the 26th chapter, Matthew 26. See that uh, Judas actually had some of that selfish ambition, which, of course, is sinful and vain, and disloyal. Matthew 26 and verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Actually, one of the parallel accounts points out that Judas had the bag. That is, he, had, he was the treasurer, and uh, he had a selfish motivation. But the others were uh, affected by that attitude. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the world, the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. I won't turn to the other examples here, but you know Judas, the next verses point out here, Judas agrees to betray Jesus, the subhead, and he finally betrayed him. So you don't want to be a Judas. It says there in John 13, verse 29. I won't turn there, but Judas had the money box. And uh, Jesus told him at the Passover service, buy those things which we need for the feast. They thought that's what he said in giving something to the poor. So having received the piece of bread, then Judas went out 
immediately, and it was night. So when you think of betrayers, traitors, those who are not keeping their commitment for loyalty and faithfulness, you think of Judas. Who else do you think of in the Bible who was not loyal, who was disloyal? Remember King David's son, Absalom? Here was his very son who turned on his father, who was the king. Turn back there to 2 Samuel, the 15th chapter, 2 Samuel 15. And here his very son had a conspiracy. And another one who was disloyal to King David was King David's counselor, Ahithophel, who actually joined the conspiracy with Absalom. 2 Samuel 15 and starting in verse 10. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. So here was another traitor. David had to flee Jerusalem, and he escaped. And, of course, later on, you know the rest of the story. Absalom was defeated in chapter 18. And, uh, of course, David was mourning more for Absalom's death than he was for the people. And so Joab had to tell uh, King David, you, you, like, you, you like your traitor son more than you like us. And so King David had to again change and, um, and welcome back the army. But Ahithophel and Absalom were traitors. And David talks about that betrayal of his counselor in Psalm 55. We sing that psalm every once in a while. We might just turn there quickly. Psalm 55, where his colleague went to the temple with him. Psalm 55 and verse 12. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal. He's referring here apparently to Ahithophel, his counselor, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in throng. Then verse 16, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me, evening and morning and at noon. I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So David experienced betrayal as well. In American history, we think of another traitor, at least uh, I'm more familiar with him because he burned down my hometown of New London, Connecticut. That was Benedict Arnold. That's in the 18th century. From History.com, the History Channel says, well, Benedict Arnold, who lived from 1741 to 1801, was an early American hero of the Revolutionary War. And he later became one of the most infamous traitors. He entered into secret negotiation with the British, agreeing to turn over the U.S. post at West Point in return for money and a command in the British Army. The plot was discovered, but Arnold escaped to the British lines. 
His name has since become synonymous with the word traitor. And it was September 6, 1781, that uh, Benedict Arnold uh, attacked my hometown of New London, Connecticut, uh, nearly burned it down to the ground. Of course, I wasn't there at the time. But we are aging as time goes on. I, it was just a couple days ago, I guess, uh, Pickles is one of my favorite comic strips, and Pickles is with the grandfather and the grandmother that are seemingly at odds with one another, but the grandson gets involved as well. And Grandma in the comic strip was putting some cream on her face in front of the mirror, and the little grandson was looking at uh, Grandma and said, Well, Grandma, what are you putting on your face? And she says, wrinkle cream. And the next scene, he he looks at her and looks at her and says, well, it's really working well. (laughs) Well, we are all aging as time goes on. But thankfully, I was not there when Benedict Arnold burned down my hometown. But we've seen some examples of disloyalty and betrayal. But now let's look at some examples of loyalty. Turn to uh, 2 Timothy, the second chapter, 2 Timothy 2. Second Timothy, the second chapter. When you think of someone who's loyal, immediately Jesus Christ comes to mind. As he said in the scripture that we all know and repeat often, John 3, verse John 4, verse 34, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus did that. He fulfilled that mission. He was loyal. He was faithful. In 2 Timothy, the second chapter, if I can find it here, 2 Timothy 2 and starting in verse 11. This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Though Christ is faithful, who else is faithful? We must not be faithless, but faithful following his example. Turn to Hebrews, the third chapter. We find another Biblical hero who was faithful. Hebrews, the third chapter, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Always remember him of his many titles, his many names of Christ, that you're honoring his name and his office who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Christ was faithful to him who appointed him. Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. But he also points out in verse 5, And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterward. But Christ has a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence 
and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And then we know, in addition to Moses and Christ, that there are our faithful brethren who have died in the faith. Dr. Meredith quoted that last week in a sermon on the resurrection, Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on, the, on, the, on this earth. Though so they died in the faith. And just yesterday, we honored the memory of Mrs. Lila Stein, who died at age 95. And we realize that we pray for the comfort of the many families whose loved ones have, um, and the loved ones for those who are relatives of those who died the past year and the past couple years. And uh, particularly, we thank uh, Dr. Meredith for his sermon on the resurrection is vital and then the resurrection is hope. So we remember Mrs. Lila Stein, we remember Mrs. Cheryl Meredith, we remember all those who are died in the faith, and we need to make sure that we are faithful and join them in the resurrection when Christ returns. Another faithful and loyal example was ancient King David. We already saw how he was betrayed by Absalom and by Ahithophel. Let's turn back to 1 Samuel, uh, the 15th chapter. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Remember, David was a shepherd boy, the son of Jesse. He was anointed king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. King Saul had disqualified himself. And uh, King Saul chose to sacrifice the spoils of war rather than obeying God. And God told them to not take any spoils of war, but King Saul disobeyed him. And so the prophet Samuel talks to him in 1 Samuel the 15th chapter, and verse 22, Samuel says to King Saul, Has the Eternal as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Eternal? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as is as iniquity and idolatry, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And so what happened? The prophet Samuel anointed David as the next king. Some estimate he may have been as young as 15 uh, when he was anointed king, but even so, if he were 20 years of age, how long did he wait before he became king? He became king at age 30, so he waited years, even after his anointing, to become king. And what kind of loyalty did the anointed young David demonstrate during that period of time? You know the story of chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. Um, king Saul actually threw a spear at David, trying to kill him twice. You know, later on in uh, chapter, well, let's turn to chapter 26, skip over uh, some of the stories where David had two opportunities to kill King Saul and take over the office for which he was already anointed. But did he do that? 
He could have reasoned that. But notice chapter 26, 1 Samuel chapter 26. And uh, let's start here in uh, verse 5. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. 1 Samuel 26, verse 5. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Now Saul laid within the camp with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zariah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head, and Abner and the people lay all around. Here he was, standing right there. He had the spear. He could have just picked up the spear and killed King Saul. He's already anointed. But notice verse 9. If you have not marked it in your Bible, you should mark it in your Bible because it's an extremely important, vital principle of faithfulness and loyalty. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? So when we consider faithfulness and loyalty, what was the principle? This was God's anointed. You say, oh, well, just someone who is personally anointed is someone that we must respect and be loyal to. I'll get to Romans, the 13th chapter, a little later, about governments in general, national governments and state governments and so forth. But the principle is, who is in charge, and is that an office that God honors. And if it's an office which God honors, you have to come to that conclusion. You have to put that to the test. You have to decide, is this person in an office that God honors? And if he is or she is, then you must respect that office. You must make sure that you are striving to follow the examples of Jesus and Moses and David as being faithful and loyal. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Eternal shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. And the amazing thing was that when Jonathan, who was very loyal to David, also, again, Saul's son, Both of them died, that is, King Saul and Jonathan died in battle. And when you read 2 Samuel, David actually mourns and honors King Saul, who tried to kill him. You talk about faithfulness and loyalty, David certainly was an amazing example of that. Let's take a look at Romans, the 13th chapter. I just referred to that. Romans 13. Let every soul be subject to the government authorities, for there is no authority except from God. You read about uh, in the book of Daniel, about God even places the base rulers over government sometimes. That no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, Romans 13, verse 2, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So again, we need to make sure that we are doing honor where honor is due, as it says in verse 7, 
Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes, to whom taxes are due. And we have some Church of God people who think, oh, you don't need to pay taxes. No, God says, pay taxes. Jesus told the ones who brought the coin to him, whose inscription is on that coin? And he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. He goes on to say, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Again, we need to make sure that we are showing honor and respect. You know, some people are just, uh, they call it dissing, uh, just insulting, disrespectful towards their the king or towards the president or towards the queen or towards the governor or towards their supervisor or to their boss. Uh, God's listening to you. You know, if you're disrespectful, uh, God is going to make sure that you will learn your lesson somehow, some way, sometime. First Peter chapter 2. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Verse 17. Servants, be submission. Be submissive to your masters with all fear. Again, some have asked me, well, how do you get along with your, your brother-in-law since he's, uh, you know, the presiding evangelist? said, I fear God. He says, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, with all fear, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. So how do you take it? Take it patiently. End of verse 20. For to this you were called, verse 21, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So we have to agree with our adversaries, submit to authority. I take a quick look at Matthew 5 as one example. Of course, uh, I know some of you have been stopped by uh, patrolmen for speeding. I won't ask your hands to raise those of you who have not been stopped for speeding, but I know when the policeman comes around, I try to be very, very respectful. And Jesus said here in Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 25, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out Get out of there till you have paid the last penalty. So we need to be loyal to those who are in authority. And yet, in our recent history, the past couple decades, we've experienced church splits. And sometimes when other leaders of other Protestant groups or others, we mention, oh, we had this split, oh, well, we've had one too. It's not so uncommon in the Protestant world. But even in the Church of God, we've had certain splits that have come along that have tested our faithfulness and our loyalty. 1974 was one such time. Thirty ministers, and was it 3,000 people from, from the eastern coast, uh, left the Worldwide Church of God. Dr. Meredith was commissioned by Mr. Herbert Armstrong to help the church be unified. He'd been in England but came was back in California at the time. 
And Dr. Meredith wrote to the ministry in a letter dated February 27, 1974, appealing for unity. I'll read a couple excerpts from that letter. He's writing to the ministers of the church, and they were a little upset, and he's trying to settle them down and to make sure that they stay unified within God's church. Quote, I have been in God's church nearly a quarter of a century. That was 1974, 40 years ago. I have seen men like Heibel and Sen sow dissension and finally leave God's church. They came to nothing. I saw Thomas Hamm and Calvin Allen go out of the church and take a few with them, claiming they would start their own movement. Nothing resulted. He concludes his letter. If I have ever helped you, taught you, served you, listen to me now. As he had taught many of those ministers. God is allowing all of us to be tested through these trials to see what our real attitude is. Can he depend on you and me to be loyal and faithful to his kingdom and his government throughout eternity? Our thoughts and actions over the next few weeks will give God a great deal of the answer to that question. May God bless and protect you and your families as you humbly yield to him, your servant in Jesus Christ, Roderick C. Meredith. Yes, can God depend on you and me to be loyal and faithful to his kingdom and to his government throughout eternity? That's what Dr. Meredith asked his fellow ministers. The church prevailed. The church remained solid and stable over a period of years. But over the years, 64 and one-half years, Dr. Meredith came to Ambassador College that long ago, 64 and a half years ago, and he has been tested, he's been demoted, and in a manner of speaking, he's been exiled, wrongly accused, and yet he has stood the test. We were discussing, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before in our lunchroom, some of the history of the church. And as we were leaving the lunchroom, Dr. Meredith said, we have been tested, and God will continue to test us until the day we die. Certainly God has tested Dr. Meredith and tested many of us, and we have remained faithful to this day. But we must again be committed to remain faithful until the day we die. Some of our Church of God brethren have been deceived by wrong concepts of government. Some believe there is no authority in God's way of church government. And I wonder whether those people who believe that have ever read the Bible. The Apostle Paul uses the word command at least eight times in his epistles for the benefit of the church. Did the Apostle Paul have authority? Did the ministry have authority? He used the word command at least eight times in writing to the ministry, in writing to the churches. He wrote to God's minister, Titus. So let's take a look at that, Titus 1 and verse 5. Titus 1 and verse 5. And we thank God that you have remained faithful all these years. Some of us, as we've seen in the past, have... uh, Attended the Feast of Tabernacles, as I may have mentioned to you, one individual in 1961. And didn't come back until 2011, 50 years later. But he's been baptized and 
is a faithful member of the church. So never give up on our brethren and on our family that may have left the main body of the congregation of the church. So here in Titus chapter 1, Starting with verse 4, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Now, Titus was not an apostle, and yet what does he tell him to do? He says, have an election and uh, elect elders in every city, as I suggest. No, he didn't say that. He said, appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Here's one of those places where he uses the word command. So, contrary to what some of the churches of God are doing by electing various order uh, leaders in their congregation, that's not God's way of doing things. God has a, a hierarchical structure that's organized, according to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and as we see by many of these various examples about appointing. So notice, Titus had authority to appoint elders. They were not elected. And the Apostle Paul had authority to command Titus and the various congregations. Another idea that has come along in some of the churches of God is that we are, we are all ministers, well, we're all servants of God. We're all doulos, bond servants of Jesus Christ. But the office of an elder is an ordained office. And it's done by the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands demonstrates a higher authority to a lower authority, which is an ordained office. We find that, first of all, of course, in Acts, the sixth chapter, where uh, the apostles uh, set up the office of deacons. And they laid hands on them. And so laying the laying on of hands is one of the fundamental doctrines of the church, as you read in Hebrews, the sixth chapter. That's Hebrews 6, uh, verses 1 and 2. So the Bible clearly shows that the church is well organized with administrative and spiritual authority. Now, some have abused that authority, claiming they are apostles and prophets and misusing authority in an abusive way. In the living church of God, we teach servant leadership. And uh, as many of you know, that's mission statement number five of the sevenfold mission of the church. Learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. So Dr. Meredith has emphasized servant leadership. And some confuse the matter of relationships and dealing with others versus structure. They deny that there's any structure because they want to emphasize the, the love and the relationships and the respect. That's fine, but they're, they're two different issues. And it's not either or, it's both and. Another Church of God president told me years ago that their form of God was simply Christ is in charge and under that it's flat. In other words, he was the president, and under him it was flat, and every minister and every leader reported to him directly rather than to the biblical hierarchical structure. When our former association became an apostate church, some members 
realized that the new teaching against the laws of God was a blatant error, in addition to many other errors. But they wrongly reasoned that, as some still do after so many years, that this apostate church was the one into which I was baptized. Therefore, I must remain loyal to it. That is misplaced loyalty. You see the error in their reasoning. The current apostate church was not the church into which they were baptized. They were not baptized into a corporation. And even that corporation has now eliminated the name Church of God from its corporate title. If their baptism was valid, they were baptized into the spiritual organism, the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So what is the solution to their problem? They need to wake up and see where Jesus Christ is working. Where is the true gospel being preached to the world? Where is the Ezekiel warning being proclaimed? Where is a church with God's true government? Where is a church which keeps the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus Christ and declares the whole counsel of God? Acts 20, verse 27. You know, the answer to the question is that everyone is responsible for proving to himself or herself, where is Jesus Christ working? Do you believe that Jesus said, the gates of the grave will not prevail against the church? I will build my church. So that exists somewhere today. And it's our responsibility to find where Jesus Christ is working And, of course, one of the principles is Matthew 7, verse 20. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. We all want to be faithful and loyal, but we must not be deceived by misplaced loyalty. It's everybody's individual responsibility to prove where Jesus Christ is working and choose to serve him in that place wholeheartedly. Some of you know about the... uh, American author and humorist Mark Twain. He was also his original name, that was his pen name. His real name was Samuel Longhorn Clemens. In 1920, he was voted to the American Hall of Fame, and that's in uh, New York City. There's a bust of uh, Mark Twain there, and in the bottom of the bust is a statement by him. Quote, Loyalty to petrified opinion never yet broke a chain or freed a human soul. Loyalty to petrified opinion never yet broke a chain or freed a human soul. So that's misplaced loyalty. And we must always make sure, is our opinion just an opinion and not a petrified opinion, as Mark Twain called it, or is it the truth? And what is the truth? You know, John 17, 17, your word is truth. And though Mark Twain said, petrified opinion never freed anyone, what does free someone? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 32. 
So we want to make sure that we are, are not deceived by misplaced loyalties and that we are seeking the truth. We are loyal to the truth. And we appreciate all the faithful support of our brethren around the world. We want to zealously fulfill our mission of preaching the gospel of the kingdom to all the world as a witness. We've already announced uh, this that we're starting this week. We're excited about these new open doors. Uh, Tuesday, uh, January 21st, just three days from now at 7 a.m., BET Network will be broadcasting tomorrow's world telecast to 90 million households. So that's Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, January 22nd, 2014, we begin broadcasting on Faith World TV to Europe and North Africa. And that's 8 o'clock p.m. London time, Wednesday night, reaching 45 million households, television households in Europe and North Africa. And then the next day, January 23rd, Thursday at 7.30 a.m., we begin broadcasting on ION Network platform, reaching 50 million television households. And as I wrote in the co-worker letter, which was just mailed out, you should be getting yours uh, this coming week, I wrote, Jesus stated in Matthew 24:14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. We have a vital God-given mission in preparing for the second coming of Christ, the greatest event yet to occur in all human history. So we've talked about disloyalty, betrayal. We've talked about various uh, individuals who were very loyal, how to be loyal, how to be uh, not deceived by those who are disloyal. Who else should we be loyal to? We should be loyal to our spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's turn to Matthew, the uh, 12th chapter, Matthew 12. And we realize, yes, there are certain loyalties and faithfulness we need to exemplify in our lives. Matthew, the 12th chapter. Verse 46, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Verse 47, Matthew 12, then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Think of a disciple as being Jesus' mother. He really had a love and a dedication and a loyalty towards his disciples. And we need to have that same attitude and faithfulness towards one another if we are all doing the same as he says here, doing the will of my Father in heaven. We know John 15, verse 13, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we've seen the example of how the church supports the brethren in the church, the members of the church, and the ministry in the church. One of the examples is in Acts, the 12th chapter, if you'll turn there. Remember that, Peter was in prison, 
And the brethren were loyal to him, faithful to him. They were very concerned for him, and they prayed for him. Acts, the 12th chapter, sorry, Acts 12. Acts 12, starting in verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Dr. Meredith has suggested that maybe he or I or Dr. Warnell or some of us may end up in prison sometime. And we certainly will request your prayers at that time, although we appreciate your prayers every day for that matter. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hand. So the doors opened up, verse 10, and he goes to where the disciples are meeting, knocks on the door, Anyway, they were really shocked to find him there, but they prayed for him, and God answered that prayer. Mr. Herbert Armstrong referred to a time before that when Peter and John were arrested. That would have been Acts, the fourth chapter. And he wrote about the loyalty of the church and serving and supporting and praying for the ministry in the church. He says, In Mystery of the Ages, page 266-267, in Mystery of the Church, notice a scriptural example, Mr. Herbert Armstrong writes, Peter and John had been proclaiming the message of the temple in Jerusalem. A miracle had been performed by Peter and a large crowd had gathered. As a result, Peter and John were thrown in prison overnight and severely threatened. Their lives were in danger. They were unnerved. Mr. Armstrong continues, They went immediately upon release to the lay brethren, Acts 4, verse 23. They needed the backing, support, encouragement of the brethren. They fervently prayed. Peter, sorely, and John needed this loyalty, needed this backing and the prayers of the lay member. They were all a team together. And as Dr. Meredith has mentioned several times, we really appreciate the team and the loyalty and the family that we do have here in Charlotte at the Charlotte headquarters. But there is a warning that Jesus gives us. I turn back there to Matthew, the 24th chapter. I covered this in the Bible study during the winter weekend and the sequence of events, prophetic events, that will take place over time leading up to the abomination of desolation. We know that as Daniel was told that blessed is he that waits another 1335 days and when Daniel is resurrected we're all resurrected and endure to the end but Jesus said in the end time and of course there's a duality in prophecy there was a type of a great tribulation for the Jews in the temple when Titus and his armies destroyed Jerusalem and a million Jews were killed and died at that time It was was their great tribulation then in 70 A.D., but there's an end-time great tribulation, and that's the context of the disciples asking him, when shall these things be and when shall be the end of the age? But he mentions here, starting in uh, verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows after the pestilence and 
and the uh, famines and the regional wars and world wars. Then they will deliver you up in tri- tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. So there is a time coming when God forbid that some of us would be offended and betray one another. As we approach the Passover, we want to make sure, are we really dedicated? Are we going to be loyal to our brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are we going to be offended? Are we going to betray one another? My turn quickly there to Mark, the 13th chapter. And it's, it's very unpleasant to contemplate But we need to understand that we gave our lives to Christ and that we may have to die in the faith if we are betrayed, as Jesus was, even as David, King David was. Matthew the, I'm sorry, Mark the 13th chapter and starting in verse 11. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what will you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, Mark 13. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will raise, rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You need to make sure as a family member that you will not be of that part of that attitude or that prophecy. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. A week and a half ago, Mr. Bob Lee gave a Bible study titled, Prepare for Greater Service. In that Bible study, he proclaimed his loyalty to his wife. I believe he's been married now for over 61 years. And he mentioned that he would be willing to die for his wife. Would any of us here be willing to die for our father, mother, wife, husband, brother, children, or parents? Would any of us betray a family member or a church member? We need to determine our commitment, our dedication, our loyalty, and our faithfulness to our family and to our brethren. Are you willing to die for your wife or your husband? I am willing to die for my wife. As Jesus said in John 15:13, greater love has no one than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. I told you the story of Mr. Zernikoff before, but some of you are new and I'll share that story with you that he was a faithful minister in Oslo, Norway. My mother and wife and I visited him in Oslo for the Day of Atonement in uh, 1989. We got to spend some time with him. And he told the story of how he was in the Norwegian underground in World War II. And it was occupied by the Nazis and the German Navy were there in the Oslo Bay. His job as a underground was to take some of the secret information in a baby carriage which located the number and location of the German ships in the harbor. And he had them, they had a little baby at the time, and he'd put the secret messages under the baby in the baby carriage and go walk down the street and see the German officers and, you know, say hello to them 
finally give that secret information to his supervisor, who would then make sure that it was sent by shortwave radio to the intelligence over in England. But his supervisor got caught by the Nazis, and he knew that they would torture him, and he knew that his supervisor would tell his name. His supervisor died without betraying him. And he emotionally said that in the White Throne Judgment, when my supervisor comes up, I am going to thank him for protecting me and not betraying me and being faithful to me. That man was willing to die for Mr. Zernikoff. We've seen that Jesus predicted family betrayal, but we know that we need to be loyal to our spiritual family. We need to be loyal to our physical family. We express true loyalty to our families when we fulfill our God-given responsibilities. Let's turn to that in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians 6. Of course, the Bible gives us those family responsibilities, even in the Ten Commandments. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. Your days may be long upon the land which the eternal God gives you. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Uh, Those ensure family loyalty and family security. Here in Ephesians 6, chapter, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. So here we see our God-given responsibilities to be faithful as members of our family, be faithful to our employers, and make sure that we are fulfilling our God-given responsibilities. We must be loyal to our spiritual family, and to our physical family in a godly way. You can access sermon number 517, Godly Loyalty by Mr. Charles O'Gwyn, and that you can find on our website as well. How do we express faithfulness and loyalty to our families? By fulfilling our God-given responsibilities. Now, pets are sometimes part of our families. There are many stories about pet loyalty, You may have read about the dog Seaman. This was a dog who traveled with Lewis and Clark through the famous Northwest Exploration. He traveled with them all the way to the West Coast and all the way back. And you can read the story about loyalty, Lesson in a Dog's Life, by Mr. Wyatt Seselka in the July-August 2010 Tomorrow's World magazine. Mr. Seselka writes, quote, Although the records are incomplete, there is even strong evidence that Seaman, the dog, was loyal to his master unto death. According to Timothy Alden's multiple-volume history, a collection of American epitaphs and inscriptions with occasional notes, five volumes, after Lewis' tragic and violent death in 1809, Seaman remained at Lewis' grave until he himself died. The fidelity and attachment of this animal was remarkable. After the melancholy exit of Governor Lewis, his dog would not depart for a moment from his lifeless remains. 
And when they were deposited in the earth, no gentle means could draw him from the spot of interment. He refused to take every kind of food which was offered him and actually pined away and died with grief upon his master's grave. Talk about loyalty. Pet loyalty. And yet God has called us to be totally loyal to him. What other examples of loyalty do you think of? You know the story of Naomi in the book of Ruth. Naomi's husband and two sons died. One daughter-in-law remained in the country of Moab, but Naomi was returning to Bethlehem. We'll turn there quickly to Ruth, the first chapter. <clears throat> Ezra and I, uh, first, second Samuel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Where is Ruth? Joshua judges Ruth. Oh, there it is. Okay, Ruth, the first chapter, verse 15. And she said, Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law tried to tell Ruth, you know, stay here in Moab. I'm going back to Bethlehem. Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. It's a beautiful story. Ruth became one of the ancestors of the Messiah. And this, uh, these words are often sung at a wedding, which is just, just beautiful when they're, when they're sung, wherever you go, I will go. I hope that uh, our wives have that attitude, particularly after having uh, my wife and I having moved 25 times, she has done that. God's plan for happy marriage, Dr. Meredith writes, for among other things, marriage is a test. It is a test to see how loyal you will be to God's instruction regarding marriage and to your mate with whom you share the sanctified relationship. How much will you give of yourself to this other human being? How much will you be patient, kind, and humble in order to make it work? Yes, it is a test to see how loyal you will be to God's instruction. We need to be loyal to one another in a godly way. We always have Christ first. We always have the truth first. We always have God's kingdom first. To what else must we be loyal and faithful? We must be faithful to the truth, which we've emphasized already. But as it says in Romans 2, verse 8, there are those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. That's Romans 2 and verse 8. Galatians 3, verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? We must be loyal to the truth. We're very thankful that we know the truth and we will enjoy the truth. As I mentioned earlier in John 8.32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Mr. Wally Smith is going to be giving a telecast which will actually be on February 9th, coming up in just three weeks from tomorrow, entitled, What is Truth? I hope you'll see that telecast, Tomorrow's World Television telecast, 
What is Truth? by Mr. Wally Smith. He's also written an article titled What is Truth? And that will be appearing in the March-April Tomorrow's World 2014 Tomorrow's World magazine. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Yes, we must be loyal to the truth. There are those who do not obey the truth, but are disobeying the truth. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians 10. In verse 12, it's a memorization scripture, you know this, but it brings out the point that not only must we as human beings and the servants of Christ be faithful and loyal, but Christ is loyal. God is faithful. We already read some examples of that, but let's look at this one, 1 Corinthians 10:12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Yes, we're going to be in examining ourselves for the New Testament Passover in the days of unleavened bread. Verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with a temptation, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God is faithful. It says in Second Thessalonians 3, verse 3, The Lord is faithful. So God has called us to the most exciting future that we could ever be imagined. We're going to be kings and priests and judges, but even government in tomorrow's world should be informative to those who reject government because there are going to be those over the tribes of Israel. The twelve apostles are going to be over those tribes. Those who increase, as it tells us in Luke, the 19th chapter, will be over cities. And there will be those over nations, as it tells us in Revelation 2, verse 26. So there will be hierarchical government and structure in the kingdom of God. And we're learning that government now. In the future, our faith will be challenged, but we must stand for the truth. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. We must trust God to create in us His perfect character. And we've seen the inspiring examples of Christ himself, that he was loyal and faithful unto death, and so must we. We've seen the examples of Moses and David and Ruth. And we personally know of brethren who have died in the faith. They endured to the end. They were faithful. On the other hand, we've seen examples of traitors, those who are disloyal, unfaithful individuals. They focused on themselves some with selfish ambitions. And today, we know of those who have misplaced loyalties. They need to prove where Christ is working and where Christ is fulfilling the Great Commission. There are many today who demonstrate disloyalty by disrespecting government offices ordained of God. So we need to learn to choose the fear of God and to submit ourselves to Him in faithfulness, responsiveness, and service and willingness. As we look forward to the New Testament Passover on April 15th, or is it the night of April 15th, we will courageously examine ourselves. We need to courageously examine ourselves, particularly for our spiritual condition. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you 
unless you indeed, unless indeed you are disqualified, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Will we now commit ourselves to be loyal and faithful servants of God and of Christ? Many of you have been tested for decades. And as Dr. Meredith said, we have been tested and we will be tested until the day we die. But we go forth fulfilling the Great Commission with all our heart. We know that our Savior is faithful. And He Himself said in Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And He said in Matthew 28 and verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, brethren, let us remain loyal and faithful. And as we look forward to the time, we pray that Christ will be able to say to every one of us, as He does in Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord.